Hello and welcome to the Dissidents podcast, brought to you by the Institute for Liberal Values. This is where we talk about how we can strive for a world in which freedom and reason are at the forefront of all human society. In this week's podcast, Elizabeth Spivak and Mike Burke discuss the benefits and dangers generated by group emotions in terms of membership to or identification with any given group, including our political alignment and how it can be dragged out of position by tribal loyalties. Hello, everybody. Um, so recently, we've been talking quite a lot about group based emotions. Um, now, we recently recorded a podcast. I, we're not sure when it will come out because sometimes the schedule gets jumbled up depending on guests and so on and so forth. But you'll be able to find it shortly. Fingers crossed. Um, but we recently recorded a podcast that looked at some of the group-based emotions that we've witnessed within, let's say, the broader anti-woke movement, if it can be defined as a movement. Um, and so people, you know, people will start to have very naturally um, tribal loyalties with one another and then start to believe in, claim they believe in, or go along with things that they might otherwise not go along with, claim they believe well, in or believe in. We've also talked about this within the woke movement. Oh, yeah, of course. Right? Well, extensively Absolutely. within them. But we try and talk yeah. about ourselves yeah. as well, right? Um and uh that you know this you know this idea of group based emotions um is sort of new maybe as uh formally defined in psychology mm -hmm. it's not a totally new idea but somewhat new in terms of a a a, a field of research um so the idea is that our emotions are uh, so tied up in the social context that sometimes the distinction between self and group uh, becomes really fuzzy. And it's not entirely clear that our emotions were uh, either motivated by simply by the self or that they originated. Uh, internal to to ourselves, so we're experiencing them as if there are they are our own, um, but they might have been inspired by uh, or primed up by group. And you know, I mean, the easiest way to think about this is you know going to a concert or a football game or something yeah. like that, and you get all excited. And even if you didn't really want to go or you weren't really feeling it, if you go, you know, my mother used to say. Oh, just go for an hour and see if you're not having fun, then you can come home, right? And by the time you get there, you go for an hour, you kind of get, you know, get in the, the swing of things. The particular article that we read was less about sort of that spontaneous experience of group emotions, but the motivations behind uh, those experiences. So sometimes we, uh, we sort of catch, we sort of catch the emotion, you know, sort of in the air and we catch it. Um, and other times we might actually, um, be motivated to feel in particular ways because of the group that we either are in or that we're manipulated to, uh, uh, think about, uh, either by our situation or, or, or in a research study. Um, so this article is by uh is uh in a in the 
research in a, I'm sorry, in a journal actually called Emotion. So it's mm -hmm. devoted specifically to emotion um, by Porat, I'm assuming, and Tamir and Halprin. Um, and it's actually titled Group-Based Emotion Regulation, a Motivated Approach. So interested in the motivations behind this. Um, so what did, what did you think about the article generally as a non-psychologist? Um, it, it, a lot of it seemed fairly obvious. Um, it yeah. seemed to make a lot of kind of in, intuitive, intuitive sense. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, yeah, this was not a research paper. This is sort of, you know, like presenting uh, the motivational approach as a, as a, uh, a theory. It certainly mm -hmm. cites a lot of research, but... Um, but that, I like that, that it, it made intuitive sense to you, because I think that, you know, one of the things I talk to my students about is, uh, you know, uh, certain classes like, say, um, uh, social psych, for example. So, so like an introduction to social psychology, I said, tell them, like, one of the reasons why social psychology is so hard is because while you're looking at it, it's so easy. You see yourself and it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's all so intuitive. And so I think that I know it. And then I come and, and take a test or try to write a little essay question or something about it. And, and it turns out uh, maybe that I don't know as much as I thought I did because it is so intuitive. It makes so much sense. And so um, so that's good. It was easily understood. It You know, you could relate to it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, so go ahead. No, I was going to say they focus on what um, people want to feel rather than how they are likely to feel, which is like a really important thing. Um, yeah, um, and they define group-based emotions as emotions that individuals feel as a result of their membership in or identification with a group. Um, so that's quite an interesting distinction. So you wouldn't actually necessarily even have to be a member of a group to just identify oh, yeah. with a group. And you, yeah, and you might not know any other group members. So you might, especially now, COVID times or whatever, right? We we might not actually uh, know any of the members in this in in a group and still feel an affinity, right? And like I'm not on social media, but there's certainly social media groups where you don't actually, you know, you may join them and you don't actually know any of the people. I could join, say, like a a knitting group or something that actually never met, but we just shared knitting patterns and our recipes or something like that. And I might feel some kind of uh, still some affinity, right? Some uh, connection to, to people. On a personal level, have you ever really, you know, aside from your immediate family members, um, which is a group, you know, you're just kind of thrown into, um, have you ever really sensed a profound sense of belonging in a group? Uh, I never sure. have. Yeah. You yeah. Have? Oh, I think so. Yes. Um, uh, so being in a boat, I'm, I'm a rower on the ocean. Okay. Right. And so there's only four of us in a coxswain. And so you, mm -hmm. and you're all doing exactly the same movement at the same time. Uh -huh. If you, if you uh -huh. aren't, then you're not rowing the boat very well. Um, so yes, uh, also really my, my undergraduate university, I felt a great, uh, loyalty to, and, and, and still, I mean, I haven't been there in a long time now, but my assumption is I would feel that same sort of tightness in my chest, uh, when I would get there, you know, my town, God's town, America's town, Bloomington, Indiana, you know, it's sort of like, you know, I could just feel that, um, 
I think I would, I think I would feel that, uh, even today. So, um, so yeah, I mean, obviously I wouldn't know anybody there and I don't, I'm not in contact with anybody that I went to college with. And yet I do feel that I feel some kind of attachment. So for, for me, I mean, I think the only place where I've really felt, you know, aside from my family and I, like, I don't know if ILV and counterweight really count because they're so small in the level that we interact with each other. Um, but yeah, like I guess the only time was at my the first university I taught at, um, in which I was working with some really highly motivated and capable colleagues, um, but the leadership was completely unmotivated and incompetent. And so it brought you all together, really. Right. It was kind yeah. of like a siege yeah. mentality because they were trying to mm -hmm. bully us to kind of cover up for their own laziness and incompetence. I mean, really, really incompetent. So I think that um, so. to a large extent, this article is talking about large, bigger groups yeah. um, and bigger affiliations, uh, political affiliations. Um, again, sort of maybe like my uh, university. I mean, this is what they're counting on, right, when they want us to donate to our alumni. To, to the mm. alumni group and stuff. They're counting on those nostalgic, those connections, um, those, you know, those emotions that, uh, that are brought up. Uh, otherwise we, you know, it's like, we're, we're done. So. Bye. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it's just quite, quite, quite. We're not, we're not the kind of person that people who would be trying to take advantage of group-based emotions necessarily might want to pitch to. Oh, I don't think it has. Um, well, I mean, I'm always saying this. I don't think it has anything to do with the type of person we are. It's not about our personality. We all have this. Um, but anyway, I thought it was interesting how they opened the article. Mm -hmm. So, and this might not have been as relevant to you because you're, you know, UK and, and Japan. I don't know where you were when this particular uh, event happened. But do you September have... September the 11th. No, no, no. This is the Christine Blasey Ford. Uh, oh, oh, of course. That's the, um, how they Kavanaugh. open the article. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, I the Kavanaugh hearings. Confused. Do you, um, do you recall these? Were these? Oh, yeah. All? I mean, I was working, okay. I was working with a bunch of Americans. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, and I, I remember, like, the, the reaction being very polarizing. I remember the right. conservative Americans I knew would say there is no decent standard of, of evidence that seems to establish his guilt here and oh, i think actually they said worse than that she made it up um i'm talking about the the, the, the conservatives, the conservatives that, that i yeah, knew that, yeah that, yeah okay <laughs> uh, um yeah if you want to look at like conservatives online a lot of people will, yeah okay so let's let i mean if we yeah. take the extreme approach then then we can go with that because the extreme approach was certainly common people would just say that she made it up so because it, it would be one thing saying okay we do not know whether or not she made it up and we have no decent way of knowing and therefore we must give the benefit of the doubt to Kavanaugh. And that's a fair argument. Um, I mean, we kind of discuss what the problem with that argument is, right? Because right. sexual assault, yeah. by the very nature of sexual assault, happens in closed, behind closed doors and in private. And so therefore you're never going to meet that standard of evidence and therefore sexual predators will be able to get away scot-free. Um, and that's a problem, again, that I don't know if, if we can fix. Um, it's a very you know there's whichever way you look at it it kind of generates dissonance because it's like well that, that means that i could be a victim of something like well probably not now that i'm married but you know you never know right um but but if we don't lower the standard of evidence then a lot of predators will get away with things absolutely scot-free so it's a really uncomfortable place to think about um but certainly the extreme position would be that yeah she just completely made it up 
And then I don't, the know, I don't know how you can get from that. Yeah, I mean, and then like, the you could say the, the possibility that she made it up. Yeah. But how can you assert that she made it up based on based on what? Um. So the argument. So then you know the example in the article of the group based emotions was that um, uh, this you know journalist um, uh, writer wrote um, you know that fury is the political is a political weapon. And women need to wield it. So women need to upregulate their anger. They need to get it, you know. See, that, that, that bit really made me, like, wince, um, the philosophical side of me, because I would argue that women don't exist in the manner in which the person making that quote seems to imply. But the, but the, but the point is to suspend that, okay, mm -hmm. and to simply... Um, think about how we can manipulate people to think about a group. We are we're we are beings who like to affiliate, and so whether there's naturally a group as we're just sort of like you know moving about our lives is less relevant um, than somebody saying think about yourself as a woman right now so, think about what it means to be a woman and i i i don't think you would find very many women who would say i have no idea what you mean to think about myself as a woman i i, I just don't I, think absolutely absolutely not yeah. but it doesn't follow from, from that being true that women are a political entity right so for example you have well, conservative I'm not women arguing. you're very liberal yeah. i know you're not arguing, I'm not arguing. As, as somebody as somebody i'm trying who's to talk about the i'm trying to talk about group-based emotions the here one, not the, the philosophy the one point, the one point i well as usual. Um, no, but the one point that, that, that just kind of leaped out at me, though, when I, I looked at that quote was, was you know, this is classic propaganda. It's kind of like, um, it's not necessarily, it's trying to trick people into thinking that they're part of a group that they may or may not be part of. Okay, I don't see it as a trick. I mean, I see, every, I see, I believe that most women, say most Indiana University graduates, I think most, uh, you know, Brits who live in the UK, if I asked you to think about, you know, oh, you know, think about, you know, uh, what it means to be a father, I think sure. you could put you could think about yourself in a group of fathers, without actually thinking about any specific fathers or, or whatever, you can kind of think about what that means. But that's not what the statement is doing, right? The statement is doing that in order to push a political objective. Right. It's to think about yourself as women to push the political objective to let's get angry over this Kavanaugh thing. That's what it's doing. Now, that's independent of whether or not the political objective is laudable or not. Right. It could be completely laudable and perfectly right. Or it could be malevolent. From well, a, I, I don't from, have any opinion really on whether it's, I have yeah, no yeah. opinion on that. My, my, I have no opinion on that whatsoever. Um, so well, me I think too, by the way, I don't know. I, 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 no idea. I, I think it's uh, so my point. I mean, they used this quote in order to show how group-based emotions might be uh, motivated or stimulated in other people. Stimulated. And so the fact that it's bothering you, I presume then we can assume that you think that it could or would, um, as might some statements by maybe our former president or, you know, uh, uh, you know, that's that's the point. Right. And look, they're not sending you know, us you're, our you're, best. 
They're not You're sending su- us their best, you know, that, yeah. that would be what, another one, right? <laughs> You're suggesting, you know, the, the way that you're talking about this is that it's, you know, um, again, sort of, you know, like it's a negative. I, I see it, of course, you know, it's part of human nature as a positive. Now, look, how, how could you possibly get, um, you know, uh, well, let's just, we can use fatherhood. I was going to use um I was going to use uh, patriotism, but, but let's use fatherhood. Like, how could you possibly get, um, you know, people motivated to maybe sort of behave like fathers when they don't really feel like it, if they didn't sometimes think about what does it mean to be a father and what is, you know, what, because uh, sometimes you just don't feel like it, right? right. And, and, and if you have a sense of fatherhood united, well, if you inculcate a sense of fatherhood within a community, then that will result in better outcomes for the kids yeah. and you know you would say right. that on balance that's a positive thing right i, I completely you should agree. probably I, stay married instead of leaving and you know all the all of those things you know not chasing young possible. girls around and so on and so forth right yeah. you know uh, you know absolutely i agree but I'm, I'm not i'm not trying to make the case that it's the the, the psychological phenomena that's being played upon by this kind of statement i'm not trying to make the the, the case that it's always negative i mean i'm you know i'm going to channel my foucault from knowledge power here again um and the same point that i often make i I, i'm I'm simply trying to make the case that it's dangerous which isn't the same thing as bad do you see what i mean yeah right so so you know again like the the thing that broke the heart of the postmodernists was how marxism that they identified with they, they had seen achieve so many good things in terms of resisting against power then went on when it became powerful to be negative and so that led foucault to say look i'm not saying everything is bad i don't think that marxism is bad i don't even think necessarily he didn't say this but i'm you know reading on the logic from what he did point, point out i'm not saying that any of these things are negative they all have a positive utility but they can be dangerous and so statements that you know we need to utilize the fury of all women could that be used to achieve positive ends? Absolutely. And I think we, 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 I could probably even point to examples of it being used to achieve positive ends. Um, you know, Harvey Weinstein being, who's an awful creep by all accounts. Well, I, I'm pretty sure that that's what this, I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm going to assume that that's what, that she, that she had positive, uh, motivation. But if something, if something can be used to, if, if, if a psychological my, my only point is this and it, this is why i think it's dangerous and this is why i think it needs to be highlighted but i would agree it can't be avoided um but i think it's important to understand these points is that if it can be used to affect positive social change then it can be used to affect negative social change as well and sure. in fact most of the time it will be doing both so sure. at the same time that harvey weinstein was faced justice for, for for some of the horrible things that he did and i think the burden of evidence is you know more than there now on him um hence his conviction um did that mean that allegations happened that 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 slightly nefarious women felt more comfortable making bogus allegations against men i think so i I mean i've witnessed it i know for example a friend of mine who is gay who was accused of sexual harassment of a woman and is definitely not interested in women um so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to say that it's dangerous. Yes, it can be made to to to, to positive ends, but it, it is dangerous. Negative things are going to happen. That's the, the only point I wanted to make. Yeah. Good. Um. So, just sort of priming up a a, a group, basically, um, seems to change the way that people 
uh, feel about uh, feel in the moment. Uh, one one example, and I don't even know. I actually looked at a couple of uh, articles, and so it may have been in this article. It may have been in, oh no, it was in a slightly different one. But um, they they just asked people how they felt about uh, negotiations when they thought about themselves as uh, an employee of company X uh, versus uh, thinking about themselves as uh, a union activist. So most people are neither, right? I mean, most people are in the union and an employee of the co of a company, right? Uh, but aren't, you know, there's, you know, fewer at, would uh, maybe be considered activists. I was thinking about, you know, union negotiations right now in the United States, uh, the big three automakers are going through, you know, all of this. And so, you know, as you as you think about uh, your group, a, a few years ago, um, they negotiated to have new um, employees would make less money. OK, so they uh, preserved the, you know, the the higher pay and the and and the pensions and stuff for the older employees. But the new employees that were getting hired got hired under different circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, so guess what happened? What happened was a division, right? It's like now no longer were the people making cars one group. Now there are two groups. Two. They're the haves and the have-nots within this company of, you know, even different haves and have-nots, right? And so now everybody's in a world of hurt and they're having difficulty sort of coming together. There's factions within the union and within within the company. And so when you think about yourself as a member of a larger group or the parts of the smaller group changed the way that people thought about how negotiations should, should go. And I think that's really useful and 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 something uh, uh, that can be that we can use, we can motivate ourselves to uh, to think about things from, you know, it's just, it's sort of a version of the old, you know, put yourself in their shoes, only maybe not even put your put yourself in the shoes of the uh, out group, but maybe of another group that's viewing both your group and the out group. Right. So maybe put trying to put yourselves in, you know, pretend you're part group. of a third group. Right. And sort of look at the two groups from from that perspective. If we're motivated to uh, if, if we can be if our motivations can be changed by the group that we temporarily consider, you know, are manipulated or, or consider ourselves in, then um, that seems like a force that could be used for good. Now, could it be used for bad? Of sure. Um, but, um, you know, we do seem to have these, um, you know, motives about motives and desires to think about our group positively. Right. We want our intra group uh, emotions where we want to think positively about our group and other group members. Um and we seem that's where we sort of like maybe catch the emotions of other people and and recognize that we're more accepted and we get more positive feedback from the group when we're doing that. What were you going to say? No, I'm just saying, well, you'd have to argue that it would be it would almost certainly be more adaptive than maladaptive, right? Right. Otherwise, it wouldn't right. have evolved. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So, and so they, yeah. they give an example. We didn't read this study, but uh, I actually have this study. Um, 
is the one where, you know, when you're experiencing normative emotions, uh, you know, you're judged more positively by uh, other group members. And there's a Twitter example. Um, I do actually, like I said, I do have this study, but we didn't read it for today. But that when tweets expressing the normative emotion for the in-group were more positive, were rewarded with more likes and and uh, shares. So there's, you know, even again, even if you're not, you don't even know these people, right? If you're tweeting out something that sort of, you know, that's uh, that matches the emotions of your in-group, you're going to get more likes and shares. Um, so we don't even have to necessarily be in the same room with them or, or even know who they are, but we're all in the same, you know, abstract same. group. Yeah. Yeah. Abstract. From an abstract perspective. But it's so weird, isn't it now? Because it's like... Even for most of our lifetimes, groups and in-groups were defined by people you actually physically knew right. and came into contact with. Um, and to an extent, they still are, depending upon who you are and where you live and what generation you are. But it's just becoming more and more removed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think something like, you know, feeling like an American, say, or feeling like, a, a you know, um, a Brit or something like that has always been a, a fairly abstract and mm -hmm. you know um so I, yeah I'd say i think that, see i feel like there's different levels of this i think it was more abstract for us than it was for you like for example like i i really used to look at americans and kind of roll my eyes like america, america and all your flags and patriotic parades and all that kind of stuff i mean as a an Englishman going up, I was like, you know, what's wrong with them? There's all this national identitarianism. How 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 silly that is! And now you seem to be losing it as a country. It's kind of like now I can finally see. You know, you only recognize the good in something sometimes when it's going or gone. Right. Um, even um, you're feeling a bit nostalgic for those days. Even huh? I'm feeling a bit nostalgic for the American kind of <laughs> like that nostalgia contributed to my enjoyment of um top gun maverick for example right, and this, right. you know this is talking as a brit who used to look upon that kind of stuff with disdain um yeah and, and, and so there is this kind of like intellectual rejection of um of the very notion of there being an in-group because in-groups by exerting normative pressure can be very exclusionary um can even feel oppressive to those people, to certain people relative to the extent to which they feel they cannot abide by the normative values of the group. Um, and I think the natural leap of certainly the postmodernist philosophers, um, but also lots of um, thinkers in queer theory, for example, when they talk about heteronormativity, would be to argue that normativity is in and of itself pathological. Um, and it can be, but it generally isn't, right? Does that make sense? No? I mean, I'm just going to say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've heard the term heteronormativity, for example, right? Yes. Heteronormative, right? So, yes. so this idea that... But I'm not that, sure. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm struggling with the connection, so... Um, it's simply the, well, simply put, the idea that the capacity of human beings to make in-groups based upon their shared values is oppressive not just dangerous but it is largely negative that's what these people would argue that's certainly what the postmodernists argued um and this is the thing that we always have to be afraid of um and, and they're right to a degree like, it can be dangerous and you can point to examples but more often than not i'm kind of reiterating what you're saying in, in, in more philosophical terms 
more often than not, the fact that we come together in groups is adaptive. It's what allows us to build, um, to band together as hunter-gatherers, then to have the division of labor, then to build towns and cities and so on. And the progress of civilization comes accordingly. Um, without this kind of joint sense of normativity, of shared values, of shared costumes, of, of being able to form an in-group, none of that would be possible. I've lost okay. you in the philosophy. Yes, yes. Uh, I was smiling and nodding for the for people <laughs> who are not watching. I guess I'm smiling and nodding. Um, okay, so uh, if we go to um, so these they they mentioned the art the authors mentioned a few specific um, other specific studies. One of which. Uh, shows up in like all of the literature, which uh, on this topic, which is this um, uh, study on Israeli National Memorial Day. Right. So um, everybody cites this article, this uh, research study. So um, they manipulated people. Uh, they encouraged people um, to uh, to. Let me just say, so Israeli National Memorial Day is a day when Israelis experience sadness. Um, it's like they're it's a it's an it's a, a sad uh, time, and it's sort of like what you're talking about. Like if we're not, uh, you know, uh, maybe as you get further and further away from it, like like after the first you know, the first year uh, anniversary of September 11th, I watched them read every name of the, you know, mm. this year, did I do that? No, I did not do that. This year I went to the gym uh, on September 11th, uh, 22 years later. So, um, you know, as you get farther and further, so they actually reminded people of their in-group status and uh, reminded them, you know, of Israeli National Memorial Day. And um, those who were primed with the need to, you know, the need to belong, that, you know, nationalism, uh, patriotism, versus those who were not, were more motivated to experience the sadness associated with the, um, with the holiday. So simply, you know, feeling that connection with groups might, might change our emotions. So the article then goes on to suggest that, um, we might upregulate different emotions, whether that's anger or guilt um, or, you know, some other emotion in order that we might um, make our group, make ourselves feel better about being a member in a group or make our group look better or, or whatever. Right. So uh, they mentioned two specific benefits, right? The first benefit would be hedonic. Um, so feeling proud of your group so feeling like i don't know i attended a very prestigious university that makes me a part of that group and all of the positive images people have of, of that university then kind of i feel that they reflect upon me whether they do or they don't uh, and that makes me feel good so that would be the, the pleasure seeking the hedonic benefit and then they talk about um the instrumental Instrument. benefits yeah. Yeah, feeling proud of your group may help you feel like a part of the group. Um, and presumably that means that if you feel a part of the group, then you feel a greater degree of security. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a safety in that. I mean, we, we did safety a whole podcast on, 
on like the existential threat, right? Of, you know, we did one on ostracism. So yeah, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of, of, of safety. Uh, I mean, tie, tying, tying that quickly, briefly back into existentialism. I mean, this is the whole point of Albert Camus' The Stranger, right? Where the uh, protagonist, Mercer, the guy that the book's about, he doesn't cry at his mother's funeral. Um, and it doesn't mean that he's not sad or he's not grieving, but he doesn't cry. And because of that, basically, he's condemned to death because he doesn't um, exhibit the, the kind of natural normative emotional response that the group demands. Um, and because of that, he's ostracized. He's seen as something that's not part of mm -hmm. it and needs to be treated with suspicion and danger and, and, and viewed as a dangerous entity. So, so, yeah, so we've got the hedonic and the instrumental benefits. Um, could we also talk about, I mean, this isn't in the article, but I mean, this was something I was trying to allude to earlier, also the kind of the evolutionary benefits of being part of a group. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, well, I mean, you've already, you know, we've already alluded to that, right? That, that sense of, of, um, belongingness. And we, you know, we talk about that a lot, uh, really on the podcast and how important that is. And so experiencing the, the right kind of emotions for the right moment, you know, would certainly, um, make sure, ensure that we are liked and shared, <laughs> by the group, you know, even pre liking and sharing, um, there was that, uh, you know, you know, to your point, there's a certain, um, you know, even a, a normativity about, uh, mourning and, and that certainly has changed over, over many years. Um, I'm kind of interested though, in what you think about this in terms of the, um, the current culture wars and, um, you know, how, uh, you know, aside from, you know, the uh, women, you know, should upregulate your, your anger. What about, I mean, they do allude to, you know, up, um, sort of upregulating up regulating guilt and, um, uh, you know, and sort of the motivation uh, behind that and how that uh, maybe can make you feel more or less, um, uh, responsible for certain things that may be uh, personally responsible and also your, you know, your group uh, responsible. I feel like a total space alien um, with regards to kind of like group identity and the culture wars. Um, well, but I mean, did I, you, but did you recognize that though? Not you personally, but did you recognize that in terms of what's hap what's oh, happening yeah. in the, in the, the, you know, oh, oh, absolutely. the larger culture. No, no, absolutely. So, 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 like, the first thing that I, I noticed was that, um, let me say my typical sort of friend. So my typical sort of friend five or six years ago um, would have been a, and then I still have friends like this, would have been a left-wing intellectual who would have identified with some form of socialism um probably worked as a university lecturer or a journalist um and i ha still have a few friends like that but i basically fell out with all of them uh, most of them um i wonder can you guess why i fell out with them 
So the reason why I fell out with them was because suddenly critical social justice came along. Critical social justice claimed to be a iteration of their movement. And these older journalists, university professors who subscribe to a much more liberal um, version of socialism um, that emphasize things like freedom of speech, you know, especially if they were journalists, because, you know, freedom of speech is pretty important, or at least used to be um, to, to journalists. Um, freedom of the press. This, these were things that these left-wing socialist kind of people really campaigned upon. You can't have freedom of the press without freedom of speech. And what they they kind of they these young kind of wokey types that were coming up through the ranks. They um, I wouldn't say that they didn't think that these people were bright, but they didn't take them fully seriously. They thought that they were kind of their their ideas were indicative of the folly of youth and that as they got older, they would sort themselves out and they would become like these older kind of socialist intellectuals and be more liberal in their views and campaign on the same thing. But basically their hearts were in the right place and they were very much part of the team. And so consequently, they didn't challenge them. And many of them still don't challenge them for precisely these reasons. Um, and so I think that what was happening and what does happen amongst left-wing intellectuals who would be naturally predisposed to be against many of the things that these kind of critical social justice wokey types are advocating for is they downregulate, deliberately downregulate their um, consternation at arguments that run contrary to their core values, such as freedom of the press, which again depends upon freedom of speech, as they all well know, um, because they see themselves as being fallaciously, in my view, on the same team. Um, so that was the first thing that I noticed. And yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. I think that um, the uh, I think that some people, some leaders, have become pretty good. Maybe not even you know they maybe not because they read the literature or anything, no, but they've gotten pretty good at figuring out how to shift people, how to encourage people to think about themselves in a different group which then can encourage them to upregulate or downregulate a different emotion um, or bring to mind sort of different topics that they, like, as you're pointing out, that they would be interested in. So if you shift from maybe college professor as your group, right, to, um, you know, a label that's more uh, relevant to racial uh, or social justice and, you know, the uh, realign the groups, Right. And then guess what? You know, you you need to upregulate, like you said, or downregulate emotions about different topics in right. order to fit in those groups. Um, so, it's just sort of it's a, sort so, of a natural um, change. So, so what's happened is that these people, you know, and some of them, like I, I'll let's say person X, who is a friend of mine, who's still a friend of mine. I'm not going to name him, but he's quite a famous journalist who's still a friend of mine who I have issues with. And I've argued with um, because he literally will say, yes, Mike, you are correct about all of these people for all the right reasons. They are dangerous. But let's get things in perspective. The real danger historically has been the far right. It will remain the far right. These people are just eccentrics, but their heart is in the right place. Um, and so he's, you know, he's pretty much tantamount to an open admission of downregulating emotions um over key aspects of his identity because he really was a campaigner for freedom of the press and freedom of speech um 
similarly, um, the same sorts of people are upregulating um, their um, other kinds of emotions, right? So, for example, you know, the whole George Floyd thing. Now, going by what the prosecution said and achieved, there was nobody making the case that the death of George Floyd was caused by racism. That was the popular narrative. That certainly wasn't established in the legal case. wasn't even suggested um, in the legal case. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. And yet, these this senior person who I'm referring to, again, somebody I have a lot of respect for, even though I think is a bit silly in some areas, went on a Black Lives Matter march in Tokyo. In Tokyo, what? What are the Tokyo police doing? Like running through Shinjuku and Shibuya, not not outside the American embassy or anything like that. You know, I mean, maybe he could just be wrong about all these things and protest about. But no, it was just complete posturing. And so, in other words, these senior professors and who do know better and senior journalists were downregulating um, their emotion, who for, for people who were going against their real core identity, again, freedom of the press, freedom of speech while upregulating offence over nonsense. Right. Um, and, and certainly you and, saw people upregulating up offence over stuff that you didn't even do. Right. And so there's, and, and again, you know, this, you know, the, the research is suggesting that that helps people, again, you know, feel that connection with the groups. And, um, and, and it, it also, you know, they talk about what, what you want your group, what you want your group to be. There's that aspect to the sort of meta, you know, version of this is that, like, I'm going to feel the emotions that I think that I think are appropriate, not even right, that I think, right, right, that, right, right, right. Uh, that would be appropriate for what I want my group to be. So if I want my group to be somewhat repentant, if I want my group to be um, sort of moral, have take the moral high ground, then I'm going to upregulate the emotions that are, yeah. that are related to that. And the most and the worst one here that I think I see on display is I want to um, I want my group to be young and vibrant. And so, you know, we're just going to adapt to whatever these idiot young people think who, who might not be idiots when they've actually had some time to read and reflect upon things um, who might not be idiots in terms of their raw cognitive processing power. Quite the contrary, who are idiots because they, they, they haven't had the time to generate any wisdom yet. Um, well, we all think we're fully baked at every time of our, in, in every time of our lives. We all think we're it's like, this is who I am. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be this person for the rest of, you know, my days. And, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it often does. So that's, that, that, so, but, so that's, that's the regulation that I saw with the people that I, the group emotion based regulation that I saw with the people that I would traditionally or had been friends with for most of my life. Um, and I think that, you know, the hedonic benefits and the instrumental benefits were both there. It made them feel good that they were recognized by these younger people as being old and leading the way and having all this wisdom. And they got that, I don't know, they were looked up to, they were deferred to. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think that feeling part of a young, vibrant movement um, also felt good um, and probably made them effective. It meant that people would listen to them, which, you know, people tend to like attention apart from me because I'm a miserable but anyway, of course. Um, um, so, so, so that was there. But, but then on the flip side, what we've noticed recently, and, and this is something that we talked about, is um, I noticed that the the liberals who didn't go down that route, who did resist the woke kind of ideology um, like us, many of them then found an in-group with the Christian right. 
um, because the Christian right, a lot of the Christian right resisted this stuff too, and correctly, by the way. Um, it's not a criticism of the Christian right either. They were correct to resist this stuff. Um, but then what we've seen, I think, um, is liberals adopt positions that they wouldn't have adopted before. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, I was in a conversation re- re- recently when somebody said, look, 10 years ago, if some drag queen wanted to read stories to my kids, then I would have had no problem with that. But now if it happened, and it's kind of like, what's changed there? You know, what is going on? Another thing that I heard um, a friend of mine say, um, do you know the American musical that has all black people, Hamilton? Oh, it doesn't have all black people, but yes. Mostly black people or whatever. And a friend of mine said, oh, 10 years ago, I would have applauded that casting choice, or at least I would have had absolutely no problem with it. Now I can't stand it. So you see what I mean? Like, these people have been dragged so first I talked about the kind of people that I used to typically be friends with. And now I'm talking about the people who I became friends with because they stood up against the excesses of critical social justice. They're both being dragged out of their natural place mm-hmm. by tribal mm-hmm. loyalties. Mm-hmm. And I can feel that pull too. Oh, yeah. But I tr- Absolutely. try to resist it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I do think, again, I think that, um, you know, there's a little bit of, a feeling adrift when, when you realize that you're, and, and again, this, this article sort of talks about, um, I can't remember what they call it, but it's sort of the, they didn't call it illegal emotions, but you know, something, something akin to that. When, when you feel the, an emotion about your in-group that doesn't, that sort of like not allowed, it's a disallowed. Dissociative, kind of, dissociative, some, di- no, something like that. A, I remember yeah. the paragraph. That's okay. Yeah. Um, but, um, so you, so you kind of pull out from that group. So maybe you're, you know, we're, you know, like for me, I was, you know, more left leaning and my left lean, you know, and then I was canceled by the more left leaning. Right. And so now I feel very disaffiliated with, um, you know, with my, what had been previously I thought of as my in-group. Okay. Whether right. I knew these people or not, I thought of them as right. my in-group. And so, as you say, I'm kind of adrift now, right? And so I'm look, kind of looking for a group, right? And maybe I happen into one that may or may not and not really be all that healthy for me in the long term, but maybe in the short term, it offered me solace, it offered me comfort, it offered me, you know, some of those same affiliate, affiliative feelings, those hedonic feelings, right. you so, know, so, so, so. and... So here we're touching upon like one of the really profound dangers of alienation, right? Of deliberately. So, you know, the whole council mob thing, when you start to go standpoint epistemology and I can mind read what your intentions are better than you're even aware of them because of unconscious racism and so on and so forth. Well, what do you think that you do to those people? What do you think happens to those people? Now, in your case, I hopefully you found some fairly sensible people who were standing up to that, but, you know, trying to do so in a, in a decent and principled way um, without throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, but okay, you know, you're somebody who has lived long enough to have generated a lot of wisdom. You're intelligent, you know, you have those advantages going for you. Um, you can imagine what would happen to a younger person. You know, if you're, 18, 19 years old male and you've been completely outcast by all of the liberals around you for being guilty of some kind of racial transgression that you know you're completely innocent of, 
um, and people are telling you how awful whiteness is all of the time when you're in college, where do you think that person's going to end up? Right. Right. Because right. they're always going to find a group. so this is the the point all of this stuff you know we're on the side of the left and we want these kind of social justice and we want to dismantle whiteness you're creating whiteness from something that doesn't exist you're creating a white identity and you're driving people into the arms of the far right um who have always looked for converts by the way and again even though you know you you object to we've done a couple of articles on how easy it is you know it's called the minimal group paradigm right how easy it is to make people think about just, you know, with very small um, uh, prompts to make people think about a group. So you can just, you know, divide a class into blue eyes and brown eyes and suddenly the there's a competition going on. Thing. Right, right, right. Yeah, it really, it really doesn't take much. But, but we've um, seen it, right? We've seen people oh, yeah. on our team come out with ridiculous conspiracy theories and we're just like, hold right. on a second, where the hell did that come from? Um, right. And then it looked into but it. That and found upregulation of of um, of anger. Yes. You know, um, and it it's you know it somewhat you know feeds on itself, and it's like oh, it's appropriate for us to feel anger, and so we just keep we want to keep feeling it, right? So, yeah. Uh, so this and there's the down. Go on. Well, I was going to say, um, so I, I think I mentioned this uh, the other day when we were, when you and I were talking, but I was reading a little bit, I've been reading a little bit about self-signaling and um, how uh, similar to this, where it's hard to tell the difference between our emotions and the group emotions and where one starts and the other ends and, and everything, that it's really hard for us to tell um, the, the extent to which we really are something, or if we are just behaving as if, okay. And that the line is, is, is pretty gray and we're not maybe even that motivated to know the difference, uh, between, you know, using these sort of behaviors or emotions as a signal to the self as who they are, as who we are versus it being generated from the inside out. So the outside in and the inside out, are kind of very, you know, oh, uh, nebulous. But, but we've seen this, right? Like, and we have to be careful what we say here, but we have looked at groups and who claim to be organized around one very laudable set of principles that apparently they don't understand because they then go on to violate them immediately afterwards, literally in the same breath, um, that aren't really about anything that they say they're about and just, you know, they're just a kind of, I don't know, what was it you called it a circle jerk or whatever yes. <laughs> i believe i might have said that yes um, um so yeah so when we you like you said we're going to find a group and if we find a group that is you know sort of chronically angry then we're going to keep upregulating anger and in this self sense uh in this idea of self-signaling one of the things that happens is we um <clears throat> the level that we started out at is like, okay, let's say, let's, we'll use exercise as an example. So it's like, oh, you know, I want to, you know, get fit. And so I'm going to get fit. I'm going to like jog a cup, try to jog a couple, walk and then jog a couple, a couple miles a few days a week. And that's, well, what happens is my, my idea of to, in order to prove to myself that I'm getting fit, I have to do a little bit more right? And a little bit more. And then I have to, maybe I have to do it like, you know, when it's sleeting outside or something like that in order to prove to myself that this is really important to my, to me. And I think that there's a little bit of that. They, they don't 
talk about that specifically, but there's a version of that in this article where we're using, um, we're upregulating or downregulating emotions that are appropriate, are seen as appropriate for a group in part to signal to ourselves that we're part of that group. So it isn't just about the other people. It isn't in the group. It's not just about the other people outside of the group, but it's signaling ourselves. I am in this group. I'm not in that group. So, you know, to whether it's a reality or not. I mean, this is how, this is why I think I found giving up smoking so easy. Like I love smoking. I love smoking cigarettes. I haven't smoked cigarettes for years, but, but I, you know, it was something I enjoyed doing. Um, and you know, I could be all self-congratulatory and say, oh, I'm right. power and I force, yes. know, maybe, maybe there's a degree of that, but I just stopped hanging around with the people that were smoking all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there's absolutely so really both, easy to give up. <laughs> right. So both of those things are, are likely going on. I think both of those things are totally legitimate, right? That, that you, you need to, you, uh, you want to become someone who has the willpower. It's like, oh, I have the willpower to do this. That becomes important to you. I self-signal that I have willpower in terms of bad habits, right? And then you also, coincidentally or or through effort, um, you know, made some changes about you know who you were hanging out with or whatever. And so now it's it's a different group. And it was it was um, coincidental. I started working at yeah. university and I just got exhausted with the social interaction all the time. And I right, didn't feel right. the need to go out all of the time. And therefore I wasn't in bars all of the time anymore. And then but people just, do yeah. choose that too, right? They choose, yeah. they say, oh, you know, it turns out I, whenever I drink, I smoke, so I need to not drink. And so if I'm not going to drink, then I'm not going to hang out with my friends who are going to the bar. And it's kind of, you know, um, so by, um, you know, we can, we can, I guess I was thinking about also about immigration and, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause I was talking, thinking about that, the, the meta group motives, you know, what we want our group to be. And I think, um, I had mentioned the other day, even, you know, sort of like the hypocrisy and sort of holding to, uh, you know, two beliefs that are in right. contradiction at the same time. And they actually talk about that here in the article in terms of these meta group motives. So in the face of mass suffering, we might down regulate, we, we upregulate our, um, our feelings, um, you know, sympathy and empathy and that kind of stuff, except here's the problem. It becomes very financially and socially costly. So they mentioned here. So for example, a person might want to upregulate empathy towards refugees entering her, um, her country to show she is a kind and moral person. So we have that signal, right? My mother um, and her friends. Yeah. And at the same time, she may want to downregulate empathy in order to avoid, avoid the financial burden that, um, that the integrating uh, people might place on her in group. So we have this right now. I know that you have this in in the UK to a large extent too. Um, you know, but in in the US right now, it's so fascinating to me that uh, people say in New York or here in in Massachusetts, we're quite unsympathetic to say Florida and Texas. Um, and how horrible it, oh, you're so horrible to immigrants and it's the end, you know, I can't believe, you know, so this very much upregulating empathy. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, the out group is the, you know, the right leaning state and get, and, and now we have the mayor of New York 
and the governor of Boston saying that we have an immigration emergency. And that, you know, I think the mayor of New York said this is going to break New York. Okay. And, um, you know, we have the, the state, uh, the Massachusetts state governor calling out the, the National Guard to help uh, because there's not housing. And so, you know, so, oh, we need federal help with the, with the immigrants. Well, isn't that interesting? Because you weren't too sympathetic when uh, it was is, Florida and Texas who needed is, help with is, the immigrants. You see, this is so irritating for me because this is my mother um, and her friends. <laughs> So my mother and her friends, they live in um, a beautiful town. And like, you know, think about the classic English countryside and old fashioned England and people wearing tweed and royal family lives nearby and all that kind of stuff. Like really beautiful, beautiful England. And of course, they're all very left wing. And, oh, we have so much sympathy for immigrants. How many immigrants do you think there are in my hometown? Five. Five, maybe. <laughs> and, and they're rich. <laughs> they're all rich um and, and so the reason and, and it doesn't occur to them that the reason why they're incredibly pro-immigration they have a they don't have a nuanced view on immigration they just say immigration is a net positive all these people are humans and the rest of it it's because they don't have to that there is no cost they're, they get all of the advantages right. by seeing to be compassionate but there's no cost because you're not dealing with the arrival of lots of poor people from the third world bringing all of the problems that they had in the third world with them because that's what happens with immigrant communities including my ancestors you know irish americans in um um the usa italian americans you know communities that are now essentially mainstream americans they brought with them the problems that they had right. in in ireland and italy and of course they resolved resolved themselves and that's not a, a, an argument against immigration per se I, i'm just simply pointing out that that, that you can't that if your take is that the immigration is is only positive, and that the only thing that really needs to be considered is compassion for these people, you're not really. I'm not. I don't want to say really disingenuous. You're yeah. not processing it. I mean, I don't want to say disingenuous yeah. because they might genuinely believe that and just not have not be inclined to actually think it through. But they haven't thought it through, and they have no business commenting on it because because the people but it that is, complain are working class communities, right? And and yes. I think that that people are um, like oh, boo generally. Oh, ge <laughs> come on! No, I, I mean no, I mean seriously. Like we're genuinely we have a. Um, the, if we thought about every problem deeply, we wouldn't get a whole lot done. So we do have to be, uh, you know, we we can't spread our our cognitions that you know, and our emotions that thin. So sure. I do, I, I do think that, um, you know, that it requires somewhat of this prompting, which, you know, brings us back to the beginning of the article, which you somewhat objected to, you know, like, oh, you know, okay. utilizing this, right? At the same time, I do think there's value in using it to get oh, people definitely. to do some of the hard work, right? Of thinking about, like, what if I did get, what if I did get at, uh, maybe I should get angry about some of, you know, about such and uh, such and such. Maybe I should get angry that, um, I mean, I think that we've both said, you know, in the podcast that there, there certainly have been positive changes about the, the Me Too movement, right? There were, there, definitely. it brought, and, and that, and to some extent that was, mo that got some of its energy from anger, right? In, it, yes. it was, you know, women's anger certainly men joined in and 
you know, uh, participated to a large, to, you know, large and small extents. Um, so I do think this, I think it's hard. I think that it's hard to spontaneously think about yourself in, in different groups, but I do think that we can help each other think about ourselves in different groups and, uh, you know, sometimes ask each other, uh, you know, prompt each other to, to do that work, uh, just even for a few minutes, just a little bit. So, and, and I think that even when, when we think about, I think that's what was magical in this, in, in the horror of September 11th, Yeah. you know, crime essentially, you know, I mean, it didn't disappear, but, you know, um, people just didn't, there fewer car accidents. Of course, people weren't going much of anywhere uh, either. They certainly weren't. Nobody was flying. But I think there was a resurgence of patriotism. Why? Because we thought all of a sudden we're thinking of ourselves now as Americans again, right? As opposed to these smaller groups. So I think there's value in that. I think there was a and and it was one of the UK newspapers at the time. Well, not one of the tabloids either. One of the I can't remember which one. One of the broadsheets and the headline was "We're all Americans now." Right, right. So right. there was that that sense of yes. um, appreciation and love for uh, a sibling nation um, that spilled certainly spilled over very powerfully into the UK. I mean, it was wall to wall news. Um, Absolutely. Um, and also with France, too. Do you remember the, the, the attacks that happened in France mm-hmm. um, at that concert? You know, same thing happened in the UK you know, with, a, with a nation that historically we've been at loggerheads with. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, there so, is that kind of. Yeah. Positive and we've talked about that, so. we talked about a version of this when we when we've talked about uh, military uh, you yes. know, within the military and the sort of, you know, this feeling of being, you know, there's no enemies in foxholes, but, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and also just essentially being, being in a group because you're, you are, you in, in, uh, pursuit of a, a common goal, uh, and then di- further dividing people within that really doesn't serve that very well. You realize the ideological position you're arguing for here, right? I don't know. Uh oh. Conservatism. <laughs> You've gone conservative. No, I don't think you're so. Seriously, you're talking about these are the normative values of society that is... bring us together and we should cherish them. I, and I'm, don't, I'm yeah. not disagreeing yeah. with you either, by the way. Yeah. But that's the kind of ideological basis for conservatism. It is. Well, I think it's. it's Edmund Burke I, talks about. I think there's value. I do there think is, there's yeah. value in I, being I able to, to do that and, and being able to switch. You know, and I think that's hopefully, eventually, that's what's going to bring people together is that ability to think of themselves in to, to think of ourselves in more than one way, in more than one group, and to not uh, insulate ourselves so uh, so tightly that we can't take that perspective of another group and feel the emo- the collective emotion that's af- affiliated with that group. But you're raising a really interesting question, whether you realize it, probably you do, but you know, you started to talk about, okay, how great was it? You know, 9-11, of course, 9-11 was a tragedy, um, but the the coming together, the, the in-group that formed afterwards and all the positive effects that had, you know, less crime, road accidents, so on and so forth. Um, and, and then I added that it spilled over to France and the UK. In fact, there was even candlelight vigils in Tehran of all places, right? Which is quite astonishing. Um, so, so, you know, there was that sense of, togetherness I, I would agree but here's the 
let's flip it on the dark side. You know, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. Um, do we need an outgroup to do that? You know, is an outgroup a kind of psychological need? Do we need to, do we need a a devil like a a folk devil in which to 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 pin the sins of the world on? You know, in order to to experience and benefit from that togetherness. Yeah, I mean, I I would say we do. Don't you think so? I don't. I yeah, don't. I mean, I I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, it was either and- it was. Well, I was just going to say, as evidenced by, we went to, you know, what was the, what was the next thing that happened? We went to war, right? So, I think was it was it George Bush or Ronald Reagan? One of the the elder George Bush or Ronald Reagan? One of the two said that something along the lines of, "I often imagine how quickly you know the world's problems would melt away, and that we would start to see ourselves as a species if we were f- faced by a threat from some extraterrestrial power." Um, and of course, he's probably right. Um, but there is that kind of thing that we need an out group. We need, we need somebody. Yeah, is there? There is no in group without an out group. Maybe right. There's no light without dark, right? Right, right. So I have no idea if this was if this is uh, an accurate quote or not. But apparently, oh, I know. So apparently within a speech by Bill Clinton. Okay. Now, you know, speechwriters sometimes borrow from other people and I, so, but, so I'm attributing this to Bill Clinton. I don't know if he was the originator of this, but apparently in a speech, uh, he said, whether he borrowed it or not, um, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing bad about America that can't be solved by what's good about America. Okay. And so this has been resonating. It's been sort of floating around in my head for, for a couple of weeks and I've been applying it to other things. So like I was thinking to myself, well, there's nothing wrong with uh, academic freedom and free speech that can't be solved by what's good about academic freedom or free speech. Okay. And so if we think about it in terms of this too, uh, I kind of like this idea about, well, there's nothing bad about in groups and out groups that can't be, uh, maybe solved is too big of a word, but, um, you know, improved by what's good about, uh, about groups. Yeah. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, if, no, we, no, no, if no. we were, if we developed a capacity to sort to, to think about, you know, to, to think about ourselves in different levels of groups, we could, um, I think we, we could do a better job at, you know, in negotiations, in, you know, problem solving. And, you know, I'm not saying that we would solve world peace, but maybe right. we wouldn't be in the situation right now in the United States, in, in, as we are in the United States now, where the, the government may completely shut down in a, a few weeks. But who has the cognitive resources to do that? And even if they do, who has the cognitive resources to listen to and understand the arguments of the person who can do that? I mean, it's, it's One- also turgid you work at a university you know you, you the people that you work with are not dumb um do not lack concentration relative yeah. to the rest of the population and yet they were so desperate to form in groups and out groups on the basis of racism that when there was no adequate supply of racism because it yeah. didn't exist <laughs> within the context fucking made it yeah. up yeah, we need yeah. an outgroup that badly, and it must be on racism because that's like the flavor du that's jour. The, that's the fashion. Yeah, 
and that's all it is, right? Because it could arbitrarily be something else. It could be homophobia, it could be whatever. But no, the flavor of the day is racism. So we need to find an out group. Um, now, it would be great if we could find a genuine We're racist. We're angry. Where can we put it? <laughs> right. Well, no, if there were genuine racists, they would have gone nowhere near you because they would have been, oh, fine. But right. like, we're in a bit of a pickle. Yeah. Right. We need an outgroup. We're smart. We should be able to. If anybody can do it, it's us, right? If anybody can, this is what Nietzsche talks about, right? When he talks about inventing meaning for themselves. He hoped that human beings, he thought that, you know, that people would lament the loss of Christianity because you'd killed this meaning-making system. But he hoped that human beings could make meaning for themselves. Well, guess what? They can, and this is it. Um, so they've made meaning for themselves in the form of racism and racists everywhere. Um, they would like to find genuine KKK members or people who thought that black people were, were inferior. Then they don't exist at your university. Or if they do, they're being very silent about it because why would you be open in a context like that? Um, and so they find they, they find they're in a pickle. They don't have the supplies, so they have to invent it. They have to pretend right. somebody is guilty of that. So if university lecturers, and, and, and look, the problems at where you are, probably pale in comparison to the problems at Harvard and Princeton and places like that, which are absolute basket cases in terms of this kind of thinking, right? So if none of these people, if the smartest people with the highest concentration spans in the whole of society, if none of them can do it, or at least if one of them can, then there's not enough people with the attention span ready and available to, to actually implement these solutions, then these solutions can't can't come from the bottom up and they have to come from some kind of conservatism some kind of falling back upon liberal principles some kind of um well appealing to them yeah well retreating to the past i I mean unless we start to cancel the people that cancelled us and we become like the woke resistance movement is becoming right now right right puritanical Oh, right. everyone who's doing Drag Queen Story Hour is involved in some international conspiracy to turn the kids gay, trans, or both, and let's ban right. them from school. Yeah. And every book that talks about, uh, you know, racism I was is about, critical race theory. Yeah. And uh, every book is, that talks about. Right. <laughs> right. I don't know what it is, but I know it's bad. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well, that was terrible. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, the the literature does say that, you know, that, that leaders are particularly helpful, you know, that, you know, having good leadership. But I think we also have seen what having bad leadership does. So, um, you know, it do, that that, uh, you know, a leader can orchestrate this in for good or for bad, which was your original point. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that you I, too deeply 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 three deeply deeply flawed individuals but none of them i think were bad leaders you had um barack obama um and there's a lot to dislike about barack obama his arrogance and the fact that he thought he was smarter than everybody and knew their jobs better than him and you know lots to dislike about him but i don't think you can make the case that he was incompetent he was quite a successful leader um so was w um, not the most eloquent man, maybe, um, prone to a gaffe or two, um, but nevertheless seemed like a decent and capable human being, um, certainly managed America through a very difficult period um, in terms of you know, 9-11 and all of that. So I would say he qualifies as a good leader. Um, and then before him, the leader that you referenced, Clinton, um, again, with his own problems with Monica Lewinsky, <laughs> who I much. had drinks with, who I had drinks with, by the really? way. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, um, anyway, um, you know, who, who had a lot of problems and was a flawed human being, but again, a very competent leader. Um, 
in recent years, who have you had? You've had Trump, um, who's a great public speaker. I wouldn't say he's a very good leader. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, would depend on our our definition of of leader. Um, but certainly, I think he is quite gifted. Oh, <laughs> in terms of getting people to upregulate certain emotions in yeah. order to demonstrate their group uh, alliances, I think. So that, is Hitler. That's... Uh, and I'm not saying Hitler and Trump are on the same level, by the way. Right. No, don't, I don't. I don't think he's the Führer. Um, but but yeah, I, I mean, I think absolutely correct. Um, and I think Biden is not a great leader either, even though on a foreign policy level, he's been very successful. Um, so I think you've had two bad leaders in America. Could you have a good one? Um, and on that note, so today we have talked about um, group emotions as distinct from individual emotions, how they have hedonic benefits, which means they make you feel good if you're a part of the group. They give you a sense of security. We've talked about instrumental benefits, how um, feeling proud of your group gives you the sense of belonging. We've also talked about evolutionary benefits, how that the fact that we form groups allows us to build societies, gives us the division of labor, which gives us villages and towns, and so therefore must be, on balance, more adaptive than not. However, we've also Absolutely. talked about that it can sometimes be quite oppressive. You know, if you're somebody who doesn't feel like they fit in with whatever the prevailing values of society are at that given time. Um, and uh, the motivations, um, what people, why people want to be members of groups. Um, so we will leave it there. Um, I think I will end on the fact that, again, you know, believe all women, hashtag. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I would argue that it's both. Um, it has dangers, it has negative consequences and positive consequences. I would just urge you to try to think. Now, as Elizabeth points out, none of us have time to allocate the cognitive resources to think about everything in great depth. Fair enough. But if you're really confident on your opinion, if you're really confident that something is just, to the extent that you have invested all of your identity or at least a significant proportion of your identity into that idea, you should be able to challenge it. Um, anything else? Um, no, I don't. I think you, you did a lovely job of summing that up. Jolly good. And on that note, thank you. Um, please subscribe. I'm supposed to say this at the beginning, but we never do. Um, leave a comment, all that kind of stuff. I will check the comments, I promise. Um, find me on Twitter, um, MikeBurke underscore UK, um, and you can get debate, make me cross if you like. Sometimes I get cross, got cross recently. Um, oh, somebody was arguing that about like female promiscuity that men shouldn't get with women who have had a few sexual partners because this is evolutionarily baked in, which is just utter nonsense. But anyway, those types. Yeah. yeah. And then when I argue back at him, I'm more senior than you in academia. Argument from authority, logical fallacy. Jesus. Anyway. All right. Thank you very much. And bye bye.